Amen. Well, good morning. I am excited today for a whole lot of reasons, uh, one of which is we've got this thing going on tonight. Anybody know anything about that? No? Excellent. Well, then why have I been working so hard all week if nobody knows anything about this? Our AIC's annual Christmas banquet is here tonight. Now, normally I would be getting up at this time saying, sorry, we're sold out. You waited too long, you Hong Kongers. Well, it has recently come to my attention that I cannot say that right now and I cannot try to chide you for not preparing early because eight seats have just come available about 15 minutes ago. So if you still would like to come to the Christmas banquet. You should have thought of that a month ago when we started selling the tickets. But anyway, I digress. Please see myself or Albert Chang right here in the front row, and we can talk to you. We would love to have you. Please don't misunderstand. We want everybody at our banquet. We would love you there. It's tonight. Seating starts at 6 p.m. at the Spotlight Recreation Club. So if you're directionally impaired, you're looking at it. Just walk through this wall, walk through another school, and the building is to your left, and go up to 4M. It's where the bus terminal is in Wampo. If you have questions, by all means, let me know afterward. But if there are eight of you that would like to come or you've got a couple extra guests that you weren't able to invite, see us. We would love for you to join us. It's a special night where we celebrate that hope is indeed here and hope isn't how good the meal is going to be. It's not how great the fellowship is. Both of those are wonderful things. Albert's got something else to say. Can you talk to me? Oh, never mind. You know what? I just lied. I misunderstood him. We do not have eight seats left. We have two. This is what happened when your signals get crossed. And I am, I am sufficiently embarrassed at this point, and it's my own fault. Too many things going on in my life. If you want to go watch some golf, see me. Uh, still excited about the banquet. And now I get to say, if you didn't buy your tickets early, Sorry plan ahead next year, and we'd love to have you. Second Sunday in December every year. And let me refresh. We are also very thrilled to welcome the Christensen family. So Brian, Carrie, and Molly, if you'd come on up for just a second, we want to get to know them. He is our speaker this evening. I'm going to hand that to you. Uh, I shared briefly with the group uh, yesterday at the marriage seminar, and if you missed that, you missed out. So uh, you'll get to hear the, uh, him tonight. But uh, when I first met Brian and Carrie uh, a couple years ago at the uh, annual Thailand conference for ELIC, I thought, man, he'd make a great Christmas banquet speaker. And so it's been all about 27 months in the process of working to get them here. Uh, and so we're thrilled to have Brian and Carrie and Molly. So can you tell us a little bit about you, your family, and what you do? Yeah, we are uh, Coloradoans. Uh, from America who were drawn by his love and his love alone to leave our perfectly good lives in America and uh, come pursue what he had for us in China. So this was four years ago, and this is actually our third year uh, living in China. We live in a city called Taiyuan, 
Uh, it's an ancient city, maybe you've heard of it, and uh, we are privileged in many ways there, uh, four at least. Uh, number one, we get to live with great teammates and help love them and support them uh, as we fulfill this calling on our campus. We live on a college campus, which brings me to number two privilege. We get the privilege of being around college students who are hungry and want to know truth. And we get to come alongside them and share the hope of Jesus with them. Number three, uh, we have this unique calling where we get to travel to other universities. And we get to love and support and encourage other teachers so that they stay and are sustained in their call to their college campus. And our fourth privilege is that we actually get to help train those folks and encourage those folks that go to other universities. So we are very privileged in a lot of ways. Those are just four. Awesome. Great. So. Well, we're thrilled to have you with us. Thank you. Molly, how old are you? Can I ask that? I'm 16. Almost 16. Almost 16. <laughs> Not <So>. yet. <laughs> Not yet. We're, we're almost there come February. Please make time to see them and get to know them a little bit after church before we whisk them off to feed them dim sum for lunch today. So we are thrilled to have you with us. Welcome. It's great. Thanks for here. coming down. Yep. And we'll, we'll talk more. I am excited. I've, I've loved hearing their hearts for people and for the work of the Lord and for the hope that they have in Christ Jesus. Uh, just over a month ago, we began Missions Month at AIC, which was the month of November, and we spoke uh, through, or God spoke through Alec McClellan on the, the idea that we should always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have in Christ Jesus, which then led us into our Christmas theme, Hope is Coming. But as we dive into today's message, you're going to be given time and again the mandate that we're called to be active in our faith. And many of you wonder, well, how do I get involved? Go to our church website. And in our church website is a section that's dedicated to showing you what opportunities we have at AIC to get you involved in cross-cultural and intracultural work. Intracultural, fancy way of saying, you don't have to leave Hong Kong. But you can still be involved in the work God is doing all over. You've got the QR code right there. Uh, you can find it on our website as well. But please, take time. Look at that form and fill it out and let us know how we can connect you with what God is doing just north of us, just east of us, west of us, all over the place. God's at work and we're invited to partner. So I encourage you, take a few minutes and just let us know of what God might be stirring on your hearts. Because we have this joy in us this Christmas season. Those of us who know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we should have this infectious joy, this infectious love, this infectious hope that we want to give away. And it's a message that should be burning within us. And so I want you to practice something this morning uh, as we turn our attention toward the scriptures this morning, as we prepare for the Messiah to come. I want to give you a Christmas greeting that I hope you give away readily and see how it works. I want you to look at your neighbor's and I want you to look at them dead serious and with as much love in your heart. And this is what I want you to tell them. Repent and bear fruit. Okay? Go ahead. Tell that to your neighbors. Good. Well done. 
Now, why in the world would I start our message by telling you to repent and bear fruit? Because it is one of the most loving and kind things you can say to those around you, both in Christ and that have not yet met him. We've turned repentance into something that is so negative that we forget the kindness and the comfort and the joy that that brings us to. We've turned Christianity into consumerism where we focus more on whether we liked the songs we sang or whether we were comfortable in these plastic seats or that, that we've forgotten that we are on a mission to bear fruit, both personally and bringing others along with us. And so when I tell you to tell your neighbor, repent and bear fruit, I'm saying that's the most loving thing you can tell them. Because it is at the core of the message of Christ. It's the core of who we are. And it was at the core of what John the Baptist was saying when he was led out to prepare the way for Jesus Christ our Lord to begin his public ministry. Remember, as we talked about last week, uh, oops, the slides are not cooperating with me today, and I know Brian's going to say it's because I use a Mac. Um, So anyway, we're going to do it this way. I'm going to point and click over here. But last week we talked about that Advent means coming. And for us in Christ, there's two parts to that. Because remember, the, the people of Israel were waiting for the Messiah. That was the first Advent. He's coming, and they were excited about a Savior. They didn't understand or even properly visualize what a king might be. They were focused more on the king part than the shepherd and servant part. And we covered that last week. This week, we want to look ahead to how God continued to prepare the way. And he used a man named John. We call him John the Baptist. I like using John the Baptizer because that's more common English for me. It makes more sense. Because what did John do? He baptized people. So just bear with my simple mind and go with that and open your Bibles to Luke chapter 3. Because I'm going to play the game over here and move, I'm going to see if I can slide this out a bit and how much room I have. And I'm going to mess up our Christmas decorations and do that. Okay, there we go. Luke chapter 3, starting with verse 3. He went into all the country around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the crooked roads shall become straight and the ways smooth. And all, God, all people will see God's salvation. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping, oops, in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children For Abraham, the axe is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Lord, as we look at your word that seems just super harsh this morning, would you open our hearts to what you have for us? Would you make us a people of fruit? 
Would you make us a people of obedience and of repentance that turn back to you day in and day out? And Lord, would you allow us to invite others into the hope that we have in you? In your name I pray. Amen. So this idea of preparation. John the baptizer was given a divine call on his life. Even before he was born, he was given a special assignment. And his life had been prepared with this special vow on his life that he would prepare the way for a Messiah. And as we move forward and we live in this kingdom right now, what we call the kingdom of the already and the not yet, Jesus has already come, but he's returning. And we are eagerly awaiting his return when he makes all things new, when he restores the broken, when he redeems us fully, and when these broken down bodies are physically healed forever and we enjoy fellowship with him forever. But the question that John the baptizer had to ask the people around him is, how are you preparing? What are you doing to get ready for the Messiah? They were eagerly anticipating a Messiah to be born and then they'd been waiting forever. Over 700 years before, Isaiah the prophet had prophesied that somebody was coming and he would change everything. And there'd been 400 years of silence where we hadn't heard from God through his prophets. And people were wondering, did we get it wrong? And yet here we are 2,000 years on and we're waiting for the return of Christ our King. We know that we've been given a mandate to go into all the world and make disciples. And when that gospel is preached to the ends of the earth, then the end will come. And as we work at that, we begin to risk being complacent and not being ready for his return. You see, these stories are interlinked. Preparation is a big deal at certain times. Every Sunday this, this time of year, or every year on this special Sunday, Christmas Banquet Sunday, I find an interesting thing happening in my office and everywhere I look. There's a specific group of people that just take over the nursery, that take over every ounce of mirror space they can find. Some of you may know who I'm talking about. And as they do, they're spending hours preparing for tonight. And they're putting on their dresses, and they're putting on heels that no human being should wear because they're so high, and I don't understand how they don't trip and fall. And they're putting on makeup, and my office smells so beautiful because there's so many things going on down there because there is this group getting ready for the banquet. Am I right? Yes, some of you are guilty. And you know who you are. And they spend all afternoon getting ready, and it's so fun to watch and maybe mess up their hair once or twice. It's only certain ones. But they spend all that time, and it's a big deal. And then when they gather and they take their pictures in front of the big banners we have made at the banquet, it's a special thing. And they're ready to be seated. And they're ready to enjoy the night and enjoy the fellowship we have together as family. Right? How much more so should we be preparing ourselves and others for the eternal fellowship we are preparing for with our King? 
And how do we prepare? Well, it starts with a word that for most Christians is a scary one because we don't understand it. And that word is repentance. Repentance scares us. He went into all the country around the Jordan. Um, I think we've come a little bit unplugged, so let me see if I can fix that. Is that any brighter? Oh, I know what the problem is. Anyway, trust me. Hey, it's in your sermon notes. I'm not going to get distracted. So if you got a bulletin, you've got the notes of everything I'm going to say today because it's that important. So you can see these verses right there with you. But John, and by the way, John was a funny-looking dude. You need to understand that he didn't look normal. He'd taken a special vow on his life that he wasn't going to shave or cut his hair and that he was going to eat locusts and honey because he was living out in the wilderness. And he was preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, up to this point, baptism and repentance for the forgiveness of sins, repentance was a result, or forgiveness of sins was a result of Forgiveness that wasn't yet fulfilled because Jesus Christ hadn't yet died and risen again victoriously over our sin. But they knew that they could be forgiven because God would make a way. The people of Israel knew this to be true. And John was preaching this message of repentance, of changing their minds. See, we get confession. That part makes sense to us. I messed up. Now, I'm not saying it comes easy. Don't misunderstand. It's hard for us to say those magical three words, especially to our spouse, right? I was wrong. Oh, it just hurts coming out of your mouth, doesn't it? It's like, I mean, you get all dry mouth. But confession starts usually there. Repentance goes a step deeper. The, the, the Greek word metanoia actually had this idea that your entire mind is changed. In the biblical term, it was this sorrow over sin that changes our behavior, our moral shortcoming, where we have fallen short. So if confession is the admission of guilt, repentance says but by the strength of God, I can turn and go the other way away from that behavior from this point forward. I am not going to continue on in the pattern of which I have done in the past. Maybe you go home at night and everybody goes to bed and you get on that computer and you look at things that you know you have no business looking at. Confession says, Mike, that's me. Repentance says, I am going to put steps in place that mean I'm not looking at that computer screen when nobody else is around. Or I'm going to put it in my living room where everybody could see it. And I'm going to run away from that behavior. But I need the strength and the help of the Lord to do it. And I know that he's given me a family that can help me in that journey. You see, repentance is a community affair. We strengthen, we encourage, we spur one another on toward love and good deeds. So when you look at your neighbor and you say, repent and bear fruit, you're not doing it judgingly. You're doing it out of love. You're saying, I want you to have that full life Jesus came to give you. I want you to be set free from that bondage that you just can't get away from. And I'll even hold you accountable. I'll walk with you. I'll ask the hard questions. 
I'll give you the hug I know you need. We're with you. Why on earth would we repent? Why on earth would we let people into our brokenness? Well, because it produces fruit. And if we understand that, we understand that it's out of who God is that we get this. Because Paul, in writing his letter to the church in Rome, specifically to the people of Israel, uh, the Jewish people in Rome and beyond at the diaspora, he was saying, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Paul was writing to a divisive people, a people that had lost sight of who God is, and they'd forgotten the very idea of being together as the body of believers, and they'd begun to point fingers at each other. They'd begun to throw stones at each other. They had begun to criticize, judge, and be unfair to each other and put each other down. And they had lost sight of who God is, and it's his character that leads people to repentance. Brian and Carrie, when they shared at the marriage seminar yesterday, reminded us of the great illustration of how easy it is to point out the plank in somebody else's eye or the speck in somebody else's eye while we've got the plank sitting in ours. And that was what was happening to the church. And Paul didn't just join in and say, you all are terrible at this. You're all failing. You're all immoral. You're all dropping the ball. You're all missing the mark, the very definition of sin. No. He said, you have forgotten the very kindness of God, the very forbearance of God, the bearing with you in your behavior of God, the very patience of God that says he loves you and he's bringing you back to himself. How do I know that? Because 700 years before John the baptizer got busy baptizing people. I can't say that again, I'll get it wrong. Listen to what Isaiah prophesied. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Even as John the baptizer was speaking the hard truth of how far they'd failed, the reference he chose to use was pointing back to the comforting deliverance of God our Father who is in heaven. What draws people to repentance more? Showing them how bad they are at life? or loving them and walking with them through the struggle? Which would you rather have? If Pastor Mike comes over and knows all your dirty secrets, which are you hoping for? Me to mean by blunt, insensitive self that says, you moron, you know better than that. How are you going to receive me if that's how I come to you? Well, some of you would laugh at me. But most, it probably wouldn't be well-received and I would be shown the door. But if I came and I said, how are you doing? There's comfort for you in the arms of Jesus. We're with you. We're going to get through this. We're not condoning sinful behavior. Don't misunderstand. That's not what God did. 
He never does that. But he says you're not walking alone. And as you turn and come back toward me, comfort will be given you. Because he is a God of kindness and he is a God of justice that makes a way for us to be set free. That that sin, that brokenness, that bondage doesn't define us. We still fail. I am not perfect. I've been washed by the blood and am of a royal priesthood, saved by the grace and justice and mercy of my God and King through His Son, Jesus Christ. But my attitude, my choices... My flesh still lead me to make decisions that are not honoring and glorifying to God or to those around me. And it's at that point I have to look and I have to ask people to help me walk back toward the light, back toward the comfort of God that gives me a better way to live. Repentance is a joyful thing because it changes our attitude. It changes how we see people because we see how God sees us of drawing us back to himself. And he did all the work of making a way. We didn't do any of it. He did it. He'd been working throughout history to get the people ready for the Messiah. And they still didn't hear him. But he never, kept, he never stops chasing. And he never stops inviting us to repent. 2,000 years on from the message of Don, John the Baptizer, it's still true for us. If you're struggling, if that bitterness, if that hurt, if that anger, if that pride, if that jealousy, if that insecurity is just overcoming you, God is saying there is comfort for you. Come back to me. Repent. And I've got a better way for you. How cool is that? He didn't just say figure it out on your own. Work really hard and maybe you'll get it. He says, I've got a way. Because repentance results in assurance of forgiveness for those of us in Christ. Acts 5.31 says it's this way. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance to forget and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit. Get this, because this part's critical. So is the Holy Spirit, who, not it, God has given to those who obey him. Not only are we called to repent, not only are we assured we are forgiven through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and at the tomb and when he rose again victorious over death once and for all, but we're told by Jesus himself that we've been given a counselor, a helper, a teacher, and a convictor of sins to get us through the day to help us each step of the way and to heal our land. How desperately do people need to know God is at work and he wants to bring healing to broken situations? I read the headline of the newspaper this morning and it kind of broke my heart. Odd statement, I know, because it's doom and despair. But Chief Executive C.Y. Lung, this is not political statement at all. But the headline says, I need to protect my family. God looked at his people, broken, 
hurting, struggling, suffering, and running this direction when he's over there. And he made a way for us to be protected and restored and forgiven. That way is through the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. That way was for us, that we might be saved and that we might live this earth in a way that shows other people the kindness, patience, forbearance, love, and justice of God, our Father and our King. I was trying to think of how do I explain assurance of forgiveness, assurance of acceptance, that no matter how far you've turned away from God, you've been forgiven. And not only that, but you've been welcomed back, that your identity, your very being of who you are is secure through Christ Jesus. And then I did what I like to do. I got on YouTube. YouTube answers everything, right? And I happened to see a movie trailer for a rather large movie that's coming out this weekend on Thursday. I'll see it at 7.20. Anybody know what I'm talking about? There might be a new Star Wars movie coming out. I might be a little bit excited about that. Very excited. Rogue One, yes, yes, see, we know it. But this wasn't a normal movie trailer. It was genius commercialism. Don't get me wrong. There was an underlying motive to go show what a great commercial can make us want to see a movie. But this had very little to do with the movie. This had a much bigger message in store. Because you start the movie by seeing... An older brother, we assume, with a hoodie on of a stormtrooper. Do you know what the stormtroopers are? They're the all white bad guy, all dressed in white bad guys with these big helmets on. And so the brother, the older brother, is walking his seemingly younger brother to what we think is school and walking around and doing a variety of activities. And the younger brother is wearing a stormtrooper helmet everywhere he goes. And so for the first one minute of this commercial, it's a lengthy commercial. All you see is his brother walking with him and the kid never taking the helmet off. We don't know why, we just know there's a story here. And every day he gets to school and you get the feeling that people are laughing at him. People are looking at him differently. And it goes on and the commercial continues. And then you walk into school one day and the whole class has stormtrooper helmets on. And that's not the best part. Because at that moment, the kid takes his helmet off. Because he's been accepted and loved, but he was embarrassed because he had to wear oxygen and didn't want people to see his weakness. And so as a form of protection, he covered himself up. But in that, people found out and met him at his point of need. And he realized he was accepted and loved and valued by his class. And you know what happened? He could take the mask off. How true for us in Christ Jesus. When we truly come to grasp the forgiveness that we have that lets us take the mask off and say, I am broken, but I've been, I've been redeemed, I've been forgiven. And Christ did it for me. No one can snatch me out of the hands of him. No one. Right now, this Christmas season, do you know that you're forgiven? 
do you know that no one can snatch you out of the hands of your loving Father through the finished work of Jesus Christ and what he's done for you? John 1, 2, my dear children, I write this so you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Romans tells us also that our, we wear his righteousness on us. It's given to us through Jesus. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only ours, this part's important, but for the sins of the whole world. Do we believe that Jesus has forgiven us? And do we believe that Jesus came to forgive the sins of the whole world? Or are there some that just don't deserve it? I know nobody wants to admit that out loud, but aren't there certain people or terrorist groups or co-workers that we just don't want to be forgiven? If you're honest with yourselves. You know I like to read stuff about Abraham Lincoln, so I'm going to do it. And I want you to listen to this. It's a novel that was written um, near the end of Irving Stone's powerful novel, Love is Eternal, which was about Mary Todd and Abraham Lincoln. Uh, there's a moving conversation between Mrs. Lincoln and the president's bodyguard, Peter. Parker, I mean. Not Peter Parker, that's Spider-Man. <laughs> Parker was his name. That movie's... Never mind. Uh, who had been summoned to Mrs. Lincoln's room. Can you imagine that just for a minute? The bodyguard entrusted with protecting the President of the United States gets called in by the First Lady, the survivor. Oh, what must he have been thinking? And remember, this is fiction. We don't know that this happened. Why were you not at the door to keep the assassin out, she demanded. With head bowed, Parker replied, I've bitterly repented it, but I didn't believe that anyone would try to kill so good a man in such a public place. The belief made me careless. Sounds like some of us. I was attracted by the play. I was attracted by the lights and did not see the assassin enter the box. You should have seen him. You had no business to be careless. With this, Mrs. Lincoln fell back on our pillar, on her pillow and covered her face with her hands from deep emotion and said, Go now. It's not you I can't forgive. It's the assassin. Tad, who if you know anything about Tad, was a special, special son in the eyes of his father, who had spent that miserable night beneath his father's desk in the executive office, drawled, if Pa had lived, he would have forgotten, he would have forgiven the man who shot him. Pa forgave everybody. That comment is reminiscent of another who have given having given his all to reveal love, was rejected by his own people and killed by those who should have protected him. Yet, in the agonies of death, he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. Even at the moment of greatest crisis, Jesus was begging for the Father to make a way for his people to be forgiven. You, wherever you are in your spiritual journey, are invited to be forgiven and set free. 
and to turn and repent and go the other direction, away from your sin, toward the light, life, and love of Jesus Christ. And he is running toward you. He's not waiting for you. He's charging the hill to get to you. Every moment of every day, he pursues you, much like the parable of the lost son, when the father sees the kid coming in the distance and he runs toward him, which no good Jewish man would do, but the father did it. The kindness and justice of God provides total forgiveness to those who seek him through the work of his son, Jesus Christ. Salvation is for all who would believe in the name of Jesus. Forgiveness is for all who call on the name of the Lord. But there's one more part that John the baptizer reminded the people as they prepared for their Messiah or were supposed to be preparing for the Messiah. And that is, John told him, you better be preparing fruit. Well, Mike, I don't get it. What is fruit? Well, as I told you, those believers, those that have our identity in Christ Jesus, have been given the wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit, right? Yeah? Yes, we have. We would say in our church doctrine, in our ecclesiology, in soteria, all theologies... We would say at the moment of salvation, we've been given this wonderful gift of the presence of the indwelling Holy Spirit with us to lead us, to teach us, to guide us, to convict us of sin that leads to repentance out of his kindness and justice, to bring us back to himself and show us the better way to live. And as we read the scriptures, the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to things yet unseen and shows us how to live a better life that brings others toward him. And as we abide, love that word abide, it's so much richer than live, because there's more to it. It's make your dwelling, it's make it your home. It's when, if you've gotten the privilege, I've never been a homeowner, and frankly, there's so many repairs, I don't want to be. But when somebody's bought that first home, and they go in, and they begin to make it their own, They pick out just the right things to go in just the right spot because it's theirs. And they're taking extra good care of it. And they want everybody to see that this is just what their home was supposed to be. Well, that's what God has done for us when he gave us the Holy Spirit. He's situating our lives in such a way that it's just aimed toward the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. And as we abide in him, what happens? Funny you should ask. Because Paul gives us the fruits of the Spirit, he calls them. What do you think they are? Well, just in case you don't remember, let, re- let me remind you that the fruit of the Spirit is love. Okay, so let's stop there. How are we doing? Are we a people that are uh, loving? Are we depending on the Holy Spirit to give us the strength to love those that treat us unfairly? Or are we doing it in our own strength and telling everybody how wrong they are? It's different. Okay, love. Fruit of the Spirit is joy. That is not a circumstantial thing. You hear me say that every few months. Joy is not circumstantial with the one exception. The circumstance that matters is the fact that Jesus Christ came and dwelt among us and made his living among us and gave his life as a ransom for many that we might be saved. That's the circumstance that gives us joy. That's all we need. And that's all we need to give away. 
Maybe you feel like you're under crippling debt. You can still have joy in the Lord and you can ask him to guide you in how to get out of that. And you can seek wisdom from others. Our joy is not circumstantial, saved, but the person of Jesus Christ. Peace. Man, our world is falling apart. Do I need to talk about peace? Or do I need to talk about shalom? The soul-filling, life-altering, demeanor-controlling peace that passes all understanding, that guards our hearts and minds from the worries, frustrations, and fears of this world. I can't do that on my own. I lay in bed worrying about, are people going to do this? Is this going to happen? Is that going to happen? The peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard my heart and teach me to cast all my cares on him, for he cares for me. Forbearance, bearing with one another. Kindness, that same kindness that God gave to the people of Israel. Did they deserve it? No. They continued to run away from God. And he continued to be so kind to them that he would keep trying to show them the way back. Ultimately, by giving his son as a sacrifice for broken, sinful betrayals, betraying people. So what right do we have to be mean or angry toward others? Are we marked with kindness, with goodness? We need a little more goodness in the world, don't we? With faithfulness. Jesus said it, let your yes be yes, let your no be no. And we're told that our faith is in Christ alone and that if we put our faith in him, we know that that hope that we have in him will never disappoint. See, isn't it amazing how all of God's word fits together to point us back to the fact that he's our strength. He gives us the ability to live these fruits, these fruit out. Gentleness. Ooh, that's a tough one. That person on the escalator that bumps into you and nearly makes you fall. That person that pushes you out of the MTR. You want to tell them things I know you do. But are we marked with gentleness and self-control? Coming full circle back to the idea of is he in control of our passions, of what we're, the secret affections of our hearts? Is he in control of how we order our days and our nights? God of my days and Lord of my nights. And are we living in a way that says your way, your choice of a better way to live is better than me looking at that computer screen late at night, than me choosing to go find another spouse that's younger, that's this, that's that. We live in a broken and dark world where the world glorifies sin and we're called to live different and to show self-control even when others say, you don't have to do that. It's okay, we'd understand. Move on. Do what makes you feel good. No, the only way to truly feel the way we're supposed to feel is to surrender our lives to Jesus Christ. Only then do we find, in the words of Mick Jagger, satisfaction. 
But Jesus took it a step further at the most inopportune of times. And I want to kind of finish along this line of thought. Not only are we called to, in the power of the Holy Spirit to bear fruit in our personal lives that others can see, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, but we are called to do so as we feed his sheep. It doesn't just stop at look at how great I am and depending on the Holy Spirit. By the way, that would be pride, the opposite of any of the fruits of the Spirit. Feeding of the sheep right after Peter has dealt with the fact that he betrayed the Messiah. Jesus looks at him and says, feed my sheep. If anybody deserved it less to lead people toward the Messiah, it was Peter. Peter denied knowing the king. And Jesus looks at him. He's already told him, on you I will build my church. And he tells him, feed my sheep. So I look at our lives and I got to ask the question, when we looked at each other and when we said repent and bear fruit, did we look inwardly or did we also look at outwardly at who we're bringing along in their journey because we are all qualified to help people grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ? Why? Because for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's the message. That's the hope. And everybody needs to hear it. And everybody needs to learn that there's a way that produces fruit that's marked by loving of God and loving of our neighbor. And it leads us to repentance and leads us to loving others enough to take the risk to point them back to God and to walk with them as they grow in a relationship with Jesus. It is the view of the elders of AIC that we need to aggressively pursue being a more obedient church. What do I mean by that? I mean that we have an expectation that going forward, we are not just a church that makes disciples, we are a church that makes disciple makers. That we have every expectation that if you call Jesus Christ your Lord, you are bringing people along with you on the journey. If you're not, then you've missed the heart of the good news of Jesus Christ. Because we can't bear fruit if we're not bringing people with us. That's why we need each other to spur us on toward love and good deeds. That's Hebrews. So how do we finish? Well, we finish like this. Soft hearts are repentant hearts. How do we know our hearts are soft? Spend time in the word. Spend time letting people ask you those hard questions of how you're doing, how's your thought life, how's your marriage, how are your relationships, how's your time with the Lord. And let God ask those first before you let anybody else ask him. Let the Holy Spirit ask those of you. Soft hearts are repentant hearts. Repentant hearts know they are forgiven. Their identity has been secured. They've been set free. Forgiven hearts gratefully bear fruit. Notice that? We're grateful for who we are. We're grateful that the past is in the past and we have been set free. And we bear fruit that bears with repentance because of what he's done. We move forward. How awesome is that, that we get to move forward? We're not stuck in a rut. And finally, as people see the fruit in our lives, what does that lead them to? Says it right there. What does that lead them to? 
Oh, that was so unconvincing. I feel like this is one of my better messages, ladies and gentlemen, because it's just the scriptures. I'm just putting the pieces together. God, this is him. And we need to get this. It's a better message, not because of Mike, but because this is what we have to do as a church. That's why this is so important. Soft hearts lead us to repentance. Repentant hearts know they are forgiven. Forgiven hearts gratefully bear fruit. They gratefully take the privilege of walking with each other through everything. And as they do that, fruit leads others to repentance and the process is repeated. I want to grow the kingdom of God, just like John the baptizer did, by helping people know that they can be identified with God the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want us to be that people. So here's my question as we finish. Are we soft? Are we letting God search our hearts? Are we inviting others to hold us accountable? Or do our defenses go right up? Are we secure? Are we busy letting everyone else tell us what to think and feel and how good we look or this or that? Are we secure in the fact that we've already been bought with a miraculous price? Are we grateful? Are our lives marked with gratitude for what he has done for us through his kindness and justice? And are we leading the way? Do others see the hope that we have in us and come with us? And do we invite them no matter how broken, no matter how hurting they are? Do we not only invite them, do we chase them? Because that's what God did for us. He chased us all the way down to earth where he became flesh and made his dwelling among us. God, help us. Soften our hearts, Lord. May our foundation be securely placed in you and you alone. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that by the power of your Holy Spirit, we can bear fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And that we can invite others along that transformative journey toward your Son. Lord, thank you for putting people in our lives that need discipled, that need shown how to follow you. Give us the burning passion to do just that through kindness, goodness, gentleness, love, patience, faithfulness, and self-control. In your holy name we pray.